welcome to the next and newest episode of the Gun Dog Notebook Podcast. This is your host, Darrell Smith, and this is my audio journal about the stories, legacies, and bird dogs from individuals who have made significant contributions to the upland, waterfowl, and wing shooting community. I'd like to thank my sponsor, The Pride Dog Food, for supporting this endeavor, as well as Robin Watson of Tibia Gun Dogs for contributing information on British field trial and British retriever training techniques. Stay tuned, you guys. This is the next episode of The Gun Dog Notebook. Okay, guys, we are back with another uh, training segment uh, with Robin Watson again, and we're talking about some more British training methods. Uh, This week, we are actually talking about uh, steadying your dog. So, you know, there's that's a big key component, especially in puppy training. You want to make sure that that's handled and taken care of. So, Robin, how are you, buddy? Very well, thank you. All right. All right. Well, I wanted to kind of catch you on some uh, some listener questions first. And I got I got one. I want to kind of go ahead and knock those out for my buddy Wes. Uh, He asked, he said, how long do you stay on the same training method with basic obedience with a puppy? Uh, You see, I don't overdo the basic obedience in a gun dog because I still want to keep that. Um, drive and, and interest involved in it. Mm-hmm. So if you if you over obedience, you take uh, take a lot of the dogs' personality out a little bit too soon. Mm-hmm. You know, you want to have a little bit. There, but there is a fine line. Right. I mean, I my most important thing in puppy training, and this is for pet owners as well. The most important thing they ever want in their life is recall. Right. So there's two things. So I do the obedience. I have it walking nicely, probably on the lead. Um, I generally get the dog out of the kennel on the lead and walk it to a training area or where I want to train that day or whether I want to take it get out in the truck, I take it on the lead because if I get it out of the kennel and it's charging around all over the place and being a bit disobedient, now I'm ruining taking time and ruining about what I'm about to do because it's chasing all over the place. Obviously, it's not listening to a bit to me if it didn't listen to come back. So recall is the main thing. I always get them out the kennel on the lead when I'm training a youngster and take them to the truck or where I'm about to train them. But like I said, I think as a pet owner, it is slightly different where I would want them all walking nicely on the lead at 12, you know, 12 weeks old or whatever to, you know, say you're walking it to the park to release it off to go to the bathroom or whatever. Mm-hmm. Then I would, I, I would concentrate probably a fair bit more on, on, on obedience. But like I said, the most crucial thing with your puppy as a gun dog trainer is you want it bringing that bumper back to you. 
Right. So if it's not, if it's not bringing it back, don't move on any further until you've got it coming back with a bumper. I'm not saying got to deliver it to hand, but it wants to be able to put it by your feet or whatever you do, you know, like that. I mean, it's about, you don't need the dog to sit up in front of you and give you it. If it comes to your hand and you take the bumper out of it or a tennis ball or whatever you're using, as long as it's delivering that to hand, and I don't mean throwing it 20 meters away. Right. You only want to throw it about five foot away. Or if it's doing it in the house and it's bringing it up to you, but outside it's not delivering to hand and it wants you to go and chase it, never go and chase it. Just walk mm-hmm. the other way. It will come and find you. Right. Walk the other way. Um, and take and just, you know, slightly keep an eye on it, what it's doing behind you. And the moment it comes up behind you, take it off it, pet it. Good thing, you know, good dog or whatever you're going to do. Throw another one out. And then it gets used to every time it brings it back to you, it's, it's going to get a retrieve. So it's going to bring it back to you quicker because it wants another go. All right. All right. And they associate and that, that with it. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, like I said, I, I think the obedience levels, um, what puppies, you know, I, I still call my puppies the pup at six months old. That's when I really start my real training. I want them to have a puppy at first and, mm-hmm. you know, take, take them for a walk, see what if they like the prickly bushes or whether they're frightened of noises around the place or are they, are they, if there's a puddle or, or a bit of a pond, if if your other ones are all jumping in and this one isn't, you soon learn to recognize the problems you may encounter as you go along. You know, it's about reading your dog. And you can read a lot with your little puppy at a young age. Right. A lot. Okay. Yeah, I'm here for it. Um, and that's kind of important, man. I, I definitely did that with mine. Um, just every time we went out, whether it been to the restroom and everything, you start everything with a lead. So... I mean, that's crucial, man. And I think, you know, just to kind of add a little bit more to it, you know, if the dog retrieves two hands, that's great. But all of that is pretty much incremental with mine. I, you know, with with basic obedience, that's kind of an everyday thing anyway. You know, but, yeah. you know, as far I mean, as... sitting for the food bowl, you right, know? When, right. you, when, when you get them to sit for the food bowl, so... You know, your puppy soon learns to sit for a food bowl because you lift it up in the air, it cranks its neck, it's got to sit on the floor. But then you can start incorporating a stop whistle, you know, and getting it to sit a bit longer. Mm-hmm. You you teach a lot around its food bowl and right. then get it to wait, wait to go and have its food and stuff like that. You, there's a lot as you can incorporate around a puppy while you're feeding it, while you're exercising it. But you've got to remember, it's got to have a bit of fun as well. Right. You know, you don't. You, otherwise, you're going to get to a point where the puppy gets bored. And I've mm-hmm. done this last week a bit. But when that puppy gets bored, with you overdoing things, it's generally the first thing to go when a dog gets bored is a retrieving. Right. So you see the boredom, boredom creeping. In. For instance, if you've got a, a puppy and you're training it again as a gun dog, you've got a puppy that really dislikes that lead. And just take two or three steps with it on the lead. Right. If, you, if you've got one that it makes so unhappy, well, don't walk it to the training area on the lead. Walk it back from the training area once you've done its training and and walk it back to your kennel then or back to your house on the lead. Right. And then 
you can reward it afterwards. But the last thing you want to do is make it sulky or insecure and, and, and the confidence is gone in you and it as a team. It thinks you're being horrible to it or whatever you're doing to it. But it, it, you know, you've got to keep that interest in you and the game, really, and the retrieving. Right. And I mean, I, I've had a, I've had a few dogs which, you know, they were not at all interested in bumpers. And I had to train those on game out, cold game out of the freezer from from day one. Not day one, but you know what I'm saying. They were right. really lackluster. I thought, well, I'll give it a pigeon or whatever, you know, out of the freezer. Got out of the freezer and the dog turned out to be okay. Actually, I went on to win with one of them, but <laughs> it, it, was a friend, it, was a, it was a friend of mine's dog. But that that thing, that would, you threw it a bumper, it was not in not one bit. But as soon as the game came out of it, it was a really, really good dog. And it did, and it came on, and it turned into be actually a football winner. Right. And, uh, and, but it, it was, it was reading that dog. And, you know, look, good luck would have it. You know, I, I had a way to have um, game always in my freezer. I always had a freezer for the dogs. Right. So I was able to do that. But not everybody can. Right. Now, also, though, and you told me... Um, this though that that doesn't mean substitute you know your dog being on birds or being on any kind of feathered game early on like if you can get to if you can train your dog and get all the foundational fundamental stuff done with a bumper or something like that then do it like oh definitely definitely you've got to because i mean that was one dog in I don't know how many I've trained, but that was one dog I had to do that with. Right. But it was the other way. It was either that or it was going to be laying on someone's carpet. Um, <laughs> and the guy had paid too much money for the dog you know, as a puppy. So that, I I still stand by it. Just right. don't give them game too early. Right. And again, if you, if you do that, then there's no interest in your training tools, your bumper or your tennis ball. There's no interest. Right. Got the game. Is that the pheasants? Is that a rabbit? Is that whatever you want to call it? A game, and and there's no way that bumper can be as interesting to it. No way. And so, and so that uh, that's that's kind of one of those things that I kind of I don't want anybody to you know take and kind of be like, oh well. You know, I don't know. I'm what I'm trying to say is people put their dogs on bir- their dogs on birds too soon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then then I get a customer phone me up and they say, "Hey, Robin, um, can you can you stop my dog breaking, please?" Well, you know, tell me about about it. Well, I've had it on pheasants. I've had it on partridges. I've had it on. Can you stop it breaking? Yeah, I'll be over to you, probably. Right. But the hardest part about it is now you, what you've left me with. This dog has to be on game all the time because mm-hmm. it won't, won't, will not tell me the same story on a bumper. There's not a chance it would tell me that same story. It's got to be on game. Right. And also, you see, you run the risk. And you know, we may, we may buy dogs from gun gun dog parents and gun dog this and field trial champion this and hunt hunt test champion but they're not born gun savvy these dogs they're not born 
hearing a gun. Right. You know, they, they my dogs hear, hear a shot every day, every single day, but you take them out too soon and fire a shot over them, you know, it can go one or two ways. It can go gun shy or it can be okay. Right. And then you have ruined your dog. There's no getting away from it. Right. You may get it round if it's a big gun apprehensive, but if it's gun shy, there's no way back. Right. And, you know, that's that's the biggest thing, man, is getting those foundation. So my uh, my second listener question, Robin, before we get into like the, the, the meat and grit of, of steadiness, um, this was my last one, was um, what could someone do? Huh? Can you hear me? I lost you there, mate. Okay. All right. So this was the second listener question. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. Um, before we get into the steadiness, the actual steadiness conversation. So what could, this was my uh, buddy, Zach. He says, what could someone do with an older puppy, one to two years old, that still has trouble with steadiness in certain situations, like being around other people or dogs? Right. One thing. You should never move on to the next stage until your dog is steady around every bumper you throw. Right. Okay, you may get you may get the odd break. That's a, that's, you know, you may. But if it is not steady to ninety nine percent of the stuff you throw, don't move on until it is. Right. Because that will come and bite you on the ass at the worst possible point. Mm-hmm. And that's as soon as you look, you said, watching other dogs go, you know, and then, and now at two years old, what happens, you've got a dog, you, you really have got to be probably a bit extra tough with, unfortunately, give it a bit of shake, make sure it doesn't get the retrieve or whatever you do, you get someone get out, you throw a bumper out and that dog breaks, don't worry about trying to catch the dog, get that bumper picked up so it's not getting it for a reward. The, the retrieve will be its reward, and it don't matter whether you shake it, whatever you want to do, you are not going to st- – it still will do it the next time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you may need somebody to help you there. So you get somebody else to do the throwing, and you make sure they throw it quite close to them, you know, to drop in by their feet and let the right. dog see it. The moment the dog breaks, get someone to pick it up. Then go and get your dog back on the lead. Right. Take it back, give it a bit of a gruff no, and make it sit down and get someone to throw it again. It will soon get fed up with it if it can't retrieve it. But the mm-hmm. moment it retrieves it, there's nothing you can do. It's already accomplished its task. Yeah, and it don't matter. It don't matter, you know. Um, you know, you could... You could set it up, you know, as long as somebody's picking it up all the time. Right. And then, and then what I would do, I would go up to where, if it did it a second, no, I, to be honest with you, if it did it that first time and you thought it was steady, I'd take it up on the lead to where the thrower is. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and I would get the thrower to throw it in front of it about 10, 15 foot away in front of the dog. Walk the dog back to where it was, it broke from 
I would slip it off the lead very carefully, talking to it, saying no, 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 you know, make it sit, whatever they do, to make it stay there. Right. And I'd keep watching it, and I'd gradually let it go, but I wouldn't, I'd make it wait. Teach it some patience. Mm-hmm. You know, and then that dog will always go back, but it, it, you have to do that. And, and at two years old, if it's still doing it, you're starting to run out of time. Right. Okay. So now if she's, if she's, you know, breaking like that and all of that, could that, um, maybe mess up the delivery to hand or maybe if she's chewing, you know, too hard or anything like that? Well, what it can do. So your dog breaks. So, you know, you shout at it, whatever you do. So, hey, what are you doing? That dog knows you are keyed off with it. Mm hmm. So it's not going to bring it up to ham because it's going to run around you and be thinking, hey, I, you know, I've done this wrong or you're, you're in a bad tone of voice with me or whatever you're doing. So now that dog is probably is going to run around you because it knows you're peed off with it because it's broke. Right. Because of what you've been shouting at it, whether you're using polite words at it, I don't know. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, you you shout at it, whatever. But you will be able to get it back. I wouldn't get it in amongst other people. I I do a solid four or five weeks of having someone throwing it for me. Every time it breaks, they pick it up. All right. Now it's interesting because I we were talking about someone taking the dog out of the shoot too soon, whatever. So Rachel, <laughs> excuse me. Fired a shot for me mm-hmm. without even throwing a bumper. This dog ran straight out there. <laughs> wow! Just assuming it was something out there, it just went. The gun made it break, and that's what happens when you take a dog out too young. They soon, they soon, they soon put all the dots together, you know, to realise that what they're doing is they're getting rewarded. For, you know, to hear the shot, it breaks, it picks a bit of duck up or whatever it's picked up or pheasant, and they realize what that shoot, that shot is doing for them. So what did you do to fix it? Well, you got to fire the shot. Okay. And, and, and hold the dog or have it on the lead and just give it a little pop on the lead, though. Okay. You know, and that's the only way, unfortunately. <clears throat> They just, I mean, it's crazy that they put those those dots together like that so soon. Jesus Christ. You don't take it. You've got to remember, when they were out there, I mean, a dog fiber, no two ways were about it. They'd be extinct by now. Right. They had to. All the wild dogs, they'd all be dead. And so would a fox, so would a coyote. They, they, know, they know what a bird is. They know what a meal is. Hopefully, all we've done is stop them eating it. Right. And just sometimes I say hopefully. <laughs> sometimes I say hopefully. Right. Because there, there's those few dogs that will eat it. Oh, yeah. They, <laughs> they, 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 you know, they are. I mean, they're out there. I mean, every now and again, you'll, you know, you'll get these dogs that aren't used to small birds and they'll eat it. But don't mean to say they're going to eat every one. Right. Um, but, I mean, we eventually don't want to do that anyway. No, of course we don't. We right. don't, don't want to do it at all. 
Right. Okay. So and that's that's why we put the wings around the that's why we put the ring wings around the bumper first. Right. So they'll kind of get used to it, but it's not something that they want to actually take in. No, and some some young dogs will not pick a, a bird. Period. They just don't want to pick it. It's it's, a, it's weird. Right. So what I do then, if I get a young dog which won't pick a feather, some feathers, you know the 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 bird itself, I'll actually put the bird inside the sock inside a sock. And hmm. gradually, you know, and tie it in a knot to start off with, so that nothing showing. I'll gradually peel the old sock back so that I show its backside or its head first, and bit by bit, I show a bit more of the bird, and it and it does work. Wow, yes, I mean that's, that again is very genius, man. Like in it, because again, it's it's just about association, you know having that if you started with the sock or the bumper or anything like that yeah it's just simple association um and it's frustrated i mean that literally is perfect problem solving yeah and i and i was told it by an old guy a real (laughs) old guy uh and he he said to me he said i i had i had problems with this do you know what i did and and it's a sort of thing that sticks sticks with you wow that's crazy that is wild actually okay all right, yeah. so let's talk about, you know, steadying your puppy. So, first of all, what what age range are we talking about right about now where we're actually concerned about steadying your dog? Now, everybody, everybody's different what they want to do with their dog. Mm-hmm. But I start mine around six months. Okay. On that, on that. But what you've got to do to start off with, again, like I said, I can't say this enough, make sure this dog's bringing it back to hang first. Mm-hmm. So then, what I do is I throw either dog on a lead, a slip lead. Yeah. And I have an on a lead, nothing to the collar or anything like that, none of that BS. I just have it. I don't have no harness, nothing like that, just on a regular slip lead. So then what we do is I throw it out there a little way and just... If, as I throw it, I say no and give it a little check on the on the lead. Mm-hmm. A little pop, no. Uh, and then, also what I do then is I walk the dog away two or three steps to start off with. Mm. And really? The reason, I, the reason I'm doing that is because now I'm teaching that dog the word no, and it's not getting it instantly, and I'm walking it away. But also what's happening, that dog may pull me a little bit trying to get get this bumper, but I will not send it until it calms down on the lead a little bit. Yep, yep. Okay, so now what I'm doing, I'm teaching it memory as well, and I'm teaching it to walk nicely on the lead, and it gets a reward with a retrieve. Mm-hmm. So then I stop. I may have had to walk a little bit too far. I walk back a few steps, depending on how far I've gone. And then I tell it to sit. If it don't sit, I'll push it down on its backside, say sit. Slip the lead off, but still holding the dog by the collar around his neck. Or if you've got a regular collar on it, I'll hold it by the collar. And say no, no. And as the dog actually gives up 
trying to pull towards a dummy or it sat there properly, then I let it have the retrieve. Right. As a reward. So, we've done that. So what we do is, well then, and I, and I only do this about three times, four times in a session with a young dog. So the next time, I'll be holding it and I'll be stood at the same spot rather than walking away. So I'll throw the dummy out, 10, 12 foot, holding it around the neck, no. So I'm holding it with one hand, throwing the bump with the other. Throw it out. When that dog again calms down, and I never send it instantly, I make it wait. And I'm still using the word no. Mm-hmm. Gradually, I release the pressure from my hands. And where I'm nearly not in the dog. Right. So I've got it with two hands now. And then I say whatever you want to say to send it. I, I generally say their name. Then the name is, uh, hey, I'm alerting you to be sent. Right. So then I say its name, Billy, get out. Or whatever it is. And that's, that's how I do it. Nah, Everyone's different. Everyone's different. The reason I say its name, when you're in the duck blind or you're on a pheasant shoot, you may want to say, just readjust Billy. Now, if you're sending him on his name and you say, Billy, you've just sent your dog. Right. Robin, you're breaking up. I didn't catch that last part. Say that one more time. Hey, can, did you hear me? You broke up that. Yeah, line. I heard you. Yeah. I, I heard you. Okay, say that last part one more time. So, when you're doing, the reason is if you've got two dogs there, and you want to send your youngster or your older one first, you just say Billy. They call him to you. Say Billy heel or Billy come or whatever you're doing. Call it to call him to you, and then you send him on a retreat. Mm-hmm. By, by, by Billy get out or whatever and your second dog should still be sat there watching what's going on right waiting on his turn yeah yeah and, and that's how I do it I mean I you know like in on the shoots in the UK we can have as many as four dogs five dogs out a piece and if you say just get out they're all gone right <laughs> every right, single they- one Mm-hmm. You got to specify. And, you know, and, and then they're all, all going after the same bird. Right. And again, like, it's it's just about, that's I think that's one of the reasons why I like, um, you know, British training methods so much, and especially everything that you're teaching me, because, again, it just, it's kind of like a, a, a no bullshit, like zero tolerance, you know, training method. It's, yeah. it's very proper, you know, it, it's very controlled. Um, and again, you're you're talking about addressing the dog. It's, it's very personal. You know, each dog knows yeah. where it's at. It's very personal. And, um, you know, that's just really helped a ton. You know, before I started really, really getting into it, 
I was just sending my dog because again, I'll, you know, for most trainers, they have to consider the fact that they only got one dog. Yeah. You know, or, or most, you know, most owners or most handlers or anything like that. And it's just important. Even if you do have one dog, call it by name. That's helped me out a ton. Cause being out of pheasant shoots, I mean, now there's more dogs and just saying go, well, that doesn't help anything. So, um, you know, just being just being very, very particular on that. Now, when you're working, you hear me, Robin? Taking them out too soon. It's, and, and I think we're we're all guilty with our first couple of dogs of sending them too quick. Yep. You know, it's different when it, it's difficult when it's a crippled bird. You want to send it quick. So, mm-hmm. You know, we'll give everyone some slack on that. Right. But if it's a dead bird... Dead's dead. Right. You know, it's not going anywhere. And sometimes, and quite often with a young dog, you do better sometimes teach it, hey, you're not getting everything. I'm going to go and pick it up. If it falls right. by your dog, it's 10 foot away and it's dead. The worst thing you ever do is send your dog on it. If you want to use that bird and it's dead, walk it away and send it back to it. Don't send it from 10 foot away and teach it to break. Because next time one falls 10 foot away or, you know, four or five occasions, you're going to look at it, send it, and it's going to go and pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I think we're all, all all guilty of it, of sending them just far too quick. Right. When you send them, you know, and, and, and when you're trialing, you know, your dogs are going to watch other dogs work. And if they don't, well, you're going home quick. Right. And that's that's a big thing about it. Now, let me ask you this. And this has been kind of a thing, just kind of a a thing. Why are we in the, in the American trial world? Like, honestly, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to me to send a dog to run 400-something yards. I mean, to me, I just, as far as the British training methods, it seems like it applies a bit more practically like i'm never going to shoot a, a bird and let a crippled bird run off 400 yards you know what i'm saying yeah i i understand it but again those guys and i said it to you before when we had a conversation before those guys are doing completely different com- competition to what we do in the uk right and and when you've got everything dead you know, not for dead you gotta you gotta split these guys up somehow. Right. And I think they're only and, and they're splitting them up by distance and straight lines and I'm not like I said I come from a different trialing game and I'm not getting that. like I said, I've seen them do some real fantastic stuff. Would it happen on the shooting field unless my mate was shooting up over about three miles away? No. Right. I think you know, as a trialing man and as a shooting man, I do like my dogs to go a long way if I need them to. Right. So so we train for it. But, you know, most most stuff's shot 30, 40 yards out. Most, when you're walked up shooting, you know, your line, what, can it be 100 metres sometimes? Maybe a bit longer, 200 metres. Right. Um, so that's across the line. I mean, there is, there is a limit 
on a but it was, it's always nice to have it at the top of your dog would go to another fifth. Right. It's uh, it really is. I mean, it is nice to have that in your pocket. You're right. You're very right. Yeah. And I and I do believe in it, but the difference with our game, if it's a if it's a crippled bird that's shot, you're gonna be on it. Right. I think in the American game they call it a no-bird, See, that's that's just something that I kind of want to, you know, that's something that I want to, you know, have any of my listeners or anything like that kind of keep in mind. You know, when we're training for field trials and stuff like that or anything, I it, it, it matters what you're training for. So I personally train for hunting. Does that make sense? Like I'm not yeah. training for a field trial, though I want my dog to be uh, though. I want my dog to kind of be ready for it. You know, I'm training for a hunt. And, that, and every bird's different. Right. Right. Every bird's different, isn't it, on a hunt? Yes, sir. You know, and that's the same with a UK trial. You may have one shot on a golf course for you. Right. You know, it falls on a, a lovely piece of grass. If your number's lucky and it's on there, you get it. The next the next four side might get one that's in a pile of bramble bushes and run like a ha- run like a deer. You know, but that that is hunting. That's that's the natural thing. If me and you were going out shooting, and you shot one on the track, or or you shot one deep in the woodland, you know, we'd want to pick it if we want to go home with it. Right. And it doesn't matter if you know these birds don't all fly in the same place unless you're throwing them out of someone's hands. Right. Right. You're right. And you know. And that's that's the way it's done over here, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And I mean, and I, like, and, and like I said, I'm not getting it. I'm not getting it. These field trial guys. I've said it before. They 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 do a very very difficult competition. Um, is it to my mind? Is it developing a a proper sporting gun dog? Definitely not. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, I'm here to say the same thing. I don't, I don't think so. But again, it is very impressive. It's a completely different game, you know. Completely yep. different, right? And, and it's, it's all to do with how my, you know, previous trainers bred dogs, and how the shooting was developed in England, and how everybody shoots, shoots, and has shot in the past. And they, and they, you know, they left us with a gun dog that's all been trainable, and they all go back to generations. And the reason being is because they knew what they wanted to do, they knew what they wanted to achieve, and that was picking up game. Now in the UK, when we get asked to go on a, the picking up field, you got to remember. This bird is forty pound a bird. These guns are paying for it to shoot, to, to yeah. shoot it. Yeah, nobody now, wants to waste. We, money. Oh, now that's sixty dollars over here per bird, 
and you can go on and you'll go on a lot of shoots, a lot of these high-end shoots and everything like that where they shoot around 350 birds. Right. And that keeper don't want to go out and find dead birds all over the place and it and his boss hasn't been paid for him. Right. No, you're it's right. Not, but over here you do a hunt and you buy the birds, don't you? Right. And you say, hey, I want 45 birds put down. And they go out and put them down in the morning. Well, the, this keeper has worked his ass off for the last, well, 12 months since the last season finished. Mm-hmm. Get the next season ready. And he's he's not as good. He's not as good as this last shoe. He's as good as his, his next one coming. Right. And most, you know, say they put, I don't know, I'm just going to guess what I'm saying, put 20,000 birds down. Most of these keepers want to shoot at least 60% of their birds. Right. Between 50 and 60%. Now, that's that's not getting up in the morning at 7 o'clock. That's getting up at 4 in the morning during the summer, checking your traps and looking after your birds and stuff like that, and then going out at night until 11 o'clock at night, shooting vermin. And still, and then you've got then you got your shoot day starting, right? And shoot and and and, and you're they're shooting those vermin to make sure they don't kill those birds, right? Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. But again, that's why our dog was developed the way it was because years ago, you know, your lords, your ladies, and everything—they all had the gun dogs, and they still have now a lot of them. Yeah, but they all, all had the Labrador, the Golden Retriever, the Flat Coat. And they had it to go and pick their uh, pick their game up for them. Right. So there's no way they wanted a fighter in the house. There's no way they wanted him anything like that. That's why when we're going to these puppies, this is why the temperament of the British Labrador is so different to the American Labrador here. Mm-hmm. Because they had to be born. They've got to be born with manners. Because we had, you know, that's the way we did it. Right. And I mean, it, again, you're you're looking for a dog that's really mannerable, man, and mannerable in the blind, mannerable in the house, mannerable uh, on the training field. Um, yeah. That's something that I've even, you know, had to kind of mess with. Like, you know, I have an American lab. Right. And, you know, for my dog, that motor is running, man. You know, that motor is is going all the time. And I mean, he's sitting right next to my feet now. But I do think there can be some kind of practical application, you know, using the British trial methods on an American Labrador. I speak for that myself. Oh, great. I've got yeah. two here in training at the moment. Right. And they've actually brought them up. It's household, you know, companions. And they, and they are very, very good. Like that, I mean, I can't speak highly enough of them. They, you know, you wouldn't know it in their temperament. They were American labs, so, and I just brought them on the way. I, I just bring up my own on. Right. But to start off with, someone had done the groundwork very, very well. But going back to your puppy stage, and I, you know, in a lot of people say you want to play tug with your dog and stuff like that when it brings it up to you. You know, tug of war with it. Don't do it. Don't do it. You yeah. just want to get that, get the bumper off them, take it off them, get them ready for another one. Right. 
Um, again, like I said, down the road, that bumper is going to change into a bird. Right. Once that dog gives me that bird, it's mine. It's not there for him to have another go at it. Mm-hmm. And so let me let me ask you this. When we're talking about, you know, tug of war and we're talking about interacting with a dog on a very close level, when you, when you want to deal with steadiness, how do you reward the dog, like with praise? Because a lot of the times, you know, people will say, I'll say like, good dog and... You, you, you pet yeah, I, much, and then he falls in the ice. He turned into ice cream. The dog, the, the reward generally is the retrieve. Mm-hmm. Okay. You say, good boy, good boy, and pet him. And, you know, I do. I give him a pat and say, good lad, good lad, or whatever I say. But um, their reward has happened when they pick that bumper. Right. Or when they pick that tennis ball. That is their reward. It's just like, you know, a lot of people talk about negative and positive training. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, what is negative and positive, really? I mean, at the end of the day, if I get Rachel to pick a bumper up because the dog's broke, that's negative, really. Right. The positive, the positive element is when the dog retrieves it. So if I've got one that's a bit of a hard head and it does keep breaking, well, Rachel comes out and throws the bumper for me. Now, it may want to take it to Rachel, but she just turns her back on it and looks the other way, you know, and it soon gets fed up. Dog is no love. Not, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she just blanks it and it'll come back to me. Um, I will sometimes get her to throw something. And if, if I've got a real bad breaker, so I get her to throw it, I'll walk away. And as, I, as I'm walking away, I've, she's already picked it up. She's already picked this this bumper up for me. So when I'm taking it off the lead, even if it breaks, and neither of us are quite quick enough, she, it's not on the floor anyway. Right. Reward it. Wow. Yeah, that's smart. But if it's if it's sat there nicely, then she'll just drop it by her feet, and, and without it seeing it, and I'll be able to send the dog out again. Right. Correct. But just don't let that work. You know, that's a really interesting thing. I mean, I uh, I guess I never really thought about it like that. That, yeah, if you are basing your dog's reward off the retrieve, well, then, yeah, you really don't have to shop. You don't have so much as touch them. Just don't let them get the retrieve. And that's already a shot. I didn't really think about it like that. No, and, and I mean, a lot of people will go negative, positive. And, I, and I, don't get me wrong, you know, the way people sometimes put it. That's, you know, not such a bad, if, you know, feeding it, treating it, whatever you do, no matter how you train. Um, I've, I have done it with food base sometimes when I've had a real bad one that I want to get back to me. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's running around, I have done it like that. But I've also had it when I've done it with food. And the clever devil, it runs so far out to the dummy thinks, hey, I've got a treat back there. I'll leave the dummy on the floor and come back and get my treat first. Right. So I don't do so much with treat work. Um, a lot of people do, and I'm not frowning on it at all, but the bit I can't get over, how can you give a dog a treat 
or feed. You can't feed it and hold something in your mouth at the same time. <laughs> I, I sometimes do believe that it encourages dropping. Right, because it's just going to drop that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's just going to drop the bumper or well, the bird. It's just to get it sees the your hand come out your pocket. It thinks it's getting a treat. Right. So it has no reason. At that point, it has no reason. You to know? Hold. Yeah. Hello? Mm-hmm. Still Can there? You hear? Yeah, Still I'm now. here. I lost your bit. I lost. Well, I was just saying, I said, so you show it your hand, and does it drop the retrieve? I would have thought it would. Right. Huh. And I mean, yeah, because and, and honestly, you're probably starting a bad habit because, yeah, it's just going to spit that bird out. I mean, it has no reason to hold it at that point in time. No. But like I said, generally, when you get to the shooting, when you get to the actual shooting field and the first wounded bird, it picks, it drops it and runs off. It, a lot of the time they don't drop another bird after that, but some may. So you don't. Do you want to run the risk that you're encouraging it to do so? Right. You know? Right. That's what you've got to... And it is. It's a fine line. You just try what works for you. If something doesn't work and it's still dropping it, try something else. Mm-hmm. But there is a fine line. you just got to keep... You know, there's... There's more than one way to skin a cat, they say, don't they? Right. Well, think about it like this. So, when I was, when I was training Ruger, um, when he was very very young i actually used a food reward but i just over time kind of weaned him off of it you see what i'm saying so i yeah i think it's very i think it's very good for recall yeah. and stuff like that and he'll work i do i think he's very good right but i mean i'm actually glad that i don't have the spitting problem but i you know had it like my next dog i'm actually honestly not going to use the whole reward thing I, I like the idea that, okay, the retrieve is the, ward, re, the reward and, you know, not getting the retrieve is, is the negative stimulation. Um, that's just personally one component that I did with my dog. You know, I just I don't see the purpose in doing it. I mean, as a puppy, you know, if you want to do little retrieves and stuff like that and have them work on recall in a little bitty hallway, that's kind of how I did it. Okay, the little yeah. food works. But when it comes to yeah. bumpers and birds, like I don't, I don't need to add that component uh, into my training. I do another thing as well, so I'm going to move on a little bit now. So when you introduce them to water to start off with, mm-hmm. as a youngster, what I try and do, I really do make sure I do this. Actually, not try. So I throw the bumper in the water. Let's say we got them swimming and stuff like that. So now we've got them swimming. I want to retrieve off the off the lake or the pond. So what I try and do is meet them at the bank with the retrieve in its mouth while they've got two feet on the bank. Not four, two. They're not going to drop that while they've just got two feet on the bank. <laughs> right. Huh. So I'm, I'm meeting them at the bank with two feet, and I get them used to doing that and taking it off, and then I back myself up a little bit. And I'm and I start by doing that. But what I do is I I go further up the bank and send them in further from the bank. But I still go and meet them at the bank, and gradually I back myself up until they're actually plonking it in my hand. That's actually really smart. 
And I mean, and you're already setting a habit of because after what two or three times, you're you're establishing that habit, and he'll come on and bring it on back to you once he gets all four feet on there. Yeah, and some people will say to me, "I can't get my dog to swim," so I put a pair of waders on, chest waders. Yep. And I take him in. I take him in on the lead, and I sit on the bank, and I just get him in there. I get him standing on all four, just standing in it. And then I just throw a little bumper and I've kept them on the lead and I let them retrieve it. And hopefully they're going to come back to me. If they try and fight to go out the bank, I give them a little tug on the lead and get them to come to me with it. And then I throw it out a little bit further and gradually throw it out of their depth. So they're swimming. Right. right. So I'm actually in the water. I'm in the water with them at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that'll that'll also you know tie into that building confidence thing. If they see you doing it, they're gonna want to follow you anyway. Exactly. Yeah, yeah they will. And and, uh, and some people say, oh, I can't. My dog don't. Once it comes out of the water, it don't come back to me. Well, so and I do do it. I, I'm careful where I do it. I put the lead around its neck and I leave the lead on and that on those slip leads where they got a bung, you know. Where you can keep the lead tight on the dog. You yeah. push the bung up, can't you keep it moving up the end? I'll push the bung up and keep it on their neck so they keep it on there, and I'll send them into the water with the lead on. Right. And then generally they will think I'm still on the end of that lead. <laughs> Point of contact, yep. Yeah, so they come back to me and they come back up the bank. Right. I mean, I've had to try all sorts. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's only because I've trained train enough of them to, to get this many problems in different dogs and, and you see a different problem every time and mm-hmm. it don't matter which one you get, you you know, you, you've got to work with that. Right. As it pays my wages, you know. Right. Well and that and that's you know, that's kind of my philosophy. Like, look, you know, I'm not in the business of I get a dog and just, you know, get rid of it or sell it. You know, I want to kind of figure out as many things as I can about that dog before I just kind of give up on it. So like you said, if it, if one thing don't work, try something else, but you know, about that lead and, and working on steadiness and all kinds of things like that, that wonder lead, have you heard of that? The little Delmar Smith wonder lead. What's it do? It's, it's, you know, your, your standard lead or whatever, but it's made out of uh, this stuff called pig and string. And it just, right. it just kind of bounces back. It's a, I think it's the same thing horse trainers use, um, but it has that little bump on it. And, and it's just, it, that's been something that worked really well for me. Um, when I come up there, I mean, that's the only damn thing I use. So I'll just bring it, I'll bring it and show it to you. Um, yeah. Well. But I mean, just to your point, uh, the point of contact is, is really, really important, you know, in making your dog think that that's where he is. Because, again, if he's not going to do it 10, you know, five to 10 yards away from you, then he's not going to do it 50 to 100. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many gadgets out there now. I'm going to be honest with you, Darrell. I used when I was first training, I had probably three bumpers, maybe four if I hadn't thrown one up a tree. <laughs> um, I got one in the tree. So, yeah, three or four bumpers, a lead, a starting pistol, and that was it. Right. 
And you should be able to train a dog with just that amount of stuff. I mean, don't get me wrong, I've got the bumper boys, I've got the cage launchers, I've got it here. I mean, I can't remember how many times I've taken that bumper boy out. Rachel Rachel bought a, the bumper boy in, in England when um, for herself with the golden retrievers. Yeah. And, and I use the bumper boy from time to time. I use my launcher from time to time. But, you know, you, you've got so many gadgets, and you're not careful now. You've got enough room for half a dog and all your equipment. Right. <laughs> and, and, and you should be able to, you know, you should be able to train them a couple of tennis balls, a couple of bumpers, and, all, you know, the, the dummy launchers are fine and everything like that. But, yeah. you know, it's, it's, um, it is a, it is a product market out there, and uh, you know, don't get me wrong. I look at Gundog Supply, I look at Turner Richards, or different companies, and I think oh, I must have. I ought to have one of those, really. Yeah. And then I think to myself, I'm going to use it or what? Right. Well, and it's you know. it's all marketing, man. I mean, it's honestly, Robin. It didn't. The only things that I take out now, I take one bumper, I take two tennis balls wrapped in a duct tape. At this yep. point, I don't. I, I might take a lead with me. I mean, he's heel yeah. so it's no big deal. But that's about all I do. And I take, you know, I take my little docking, uh, you know, scent sticks and stuff like that. But it doesn't take that much to train a dog, honestly. I mean, as far as to get him to the level uh for the for the hunter that you know goes out, you know, pretty regularly, doesn't take that much. No, I, I, you know, we were saying about birds and stuff like that. Now, if you're training a pointer, right, you need birds. Different. You need to be able to get in birds. Right. You ain't going to train a pointer without birds. Right. So Wild birds. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a different thing altogether, you right. know. Um, but, you know, they, they have to have birds to see what their dog's about. Right. Um, and, and you ain't going to train a pointer with bumpers. Right. You're just not. Uh, but anyway, so... Going like I said, with it, so the steadiness. If you, if you, and then with that steadiness, gradually, when we throw that dummy out, we want to be able to just say the word no and throw it, and he he sat there. Right. Now we can work. We can work on sit and stay as obedience. So you sit and stay will help you as well. But you know, you when you throw that bumper out uh, for the first time, you're not. You're not watching where that bumper goes. You're watching your dog. If he moves, if he moves two inches, you put him back two inches. Right. If he if if he breaks just a little bit, you don't let him have it for a minute. Make mm. him sit down. I'm not saying don't let him have it. Make him sit and wait there. Right. Then let him have it. Right. Build up your pace. Build build up his his patient levels. You know now. That sitting and staying when you make him sit, you know, and wait and walk away from him, that's all going to help you with your with your steadiness, all that type of thing. Right, right. So the more you can instill in it. Let me let me ask you this also: How do you keep a dog steady to flush? Like, how do you how do you keep a dog once that bird is flushed? Um, how do you keep him at least marking but not moving? Oh, it all comes back to that groundwork. So, you know, if he, if he's not, if you're walking along, you throw a bumper up. When he breaks, he's only steady to a bird. You know, right. it all starts on that. And you've got to have that command, whether it's sit, stay, or whistle, whatever you're going to do. And that's how it's 
that's how it happens. And and I've noticed over here, if you go on these bag bird hunts, mm-hmm. some, some of those birds get up like they've been shot already. Right. And so the dog, you know, once you've got a seasoned dog, and it's used to seeing whether a bird's been hit or not, it's marked it. To me, sometimes those bag birds look like they have been hit, and you and the dog breaks on you or whatever it should do, but it does. But it's about doing your groundwork at home, and you know, it's going out with a friend, watching your dog, and not shooting yourself to start off with, mm-hmm. and someone else shoot your birds. It's all part of training when you introduce them to birds. So that's, I think that's for another day. But I would. I would always, always suggest to people for the first three or four hunts with your dog, do not shoot yourself. Right. Let him run. I mean, you control the dog yourself unless somebody else shoots. Yep. I agree. Yeah. And I, and I believe, I believe a Labrador, to my mind, it's far better at your heel, marking what you shot rather than flushing birds. Right. So, right. What I mean by that, so you dizzy your birds for your quail hunts. And, you know, I've seen it. So you go and dizzy 25 or something, you may get 15 or 18 get up properly. You sink your dog in the flush. A shot's been fired. It comes out with a quail in its mouth. You haven't sent it, but because this bird didn't flush because it was sick or a bit over dizzied or whatever you do over here what you call them over here so it's over dizzied now your dog you haven't sent it a shot's been fired it's come out with a quail in its mouth so guess what next time a shot's fired it's me looking for a bird again without you sending it right so i wouldn't flush with a young dog i certainly wouldn't flush with a young dog until i know it's steady right um, I mean, yeah. I, and the only way to the only way to do that is to get people to go in and flush either with their dogs, or you go in and flush with your feet and keep your dog at heel. Right. And you, the moment that flush gets up, the cubby gets up, and they shoot into it. No, sit. It's under training still. Right. You tell it to sit, and you don't you don't get on and get too excited and send the dog too quick. Yeah, I mean that's and that's important, man. Um, it's just if I Again, had to, if go ahead, Kendall, you still got to have a seasoned dog there with you to right. pick a crippled bird because you don't want to be sending that dog too quick. Mm-hmm. You do, you know. Again, we're we're about collecting game, aren't we? Right. Not leaving game out there. Right. And you know that has a lot. I just my biggest thing is for a Labrador, man. I just. I agree with what you were saying. That dog is a better marker than he is a flusher. I mean, he's got retriever at the front of his name, Darrell. There's there's nothing hidden. There's nothing hidden. Right. People have a, I mean, yeah, we get rough shoot. We do rough shooting in England and stuff like that. Don't get me wrong. Now, what do you you mean for anybody that does that? What do you you mean? Uh, Very, very occasional. My son will go out. With his dog, he, they call it dogging in when they're pushing the birds back to the pens at night. Uh-huh. And his dog, his dog's flushing. I mean, his dog's in amongst probably four or 5,000 birds at a time. Right. 
and it's just flushing them back to the pen. He don't chase at all. But, I mean, these keepers' dogs, they're used to seeing birds day in and day out. Right. And they really are. But you've got to get the dog really acclimatized to what he's doing, I suppose the word is. You get him used to what you want him for. We all want a dog for a different reason. Right. But, but as a shooting man, a Labrador is far better marking your game going down rather than flushing it. Right. If you want to flush her, get yourself a Spaniel. And and if you can, if you're allowed to have two dogs at home, get yourself a Spaniel to flush. That's a, you know, that's a flushing machine. That's what they've been bred for. Yo. Your Labr- you know, and your Labrador can sit there and watch and you've got a partnership. Right. You've got a good partnership there. I agree. The, um, speaking of that, the, the, Spaniel flushes, and I'm going to post these on my uh, Instagram and, and social media. The Spaniel videos that you sent me today were amazing. That Those are little machines, man. Those Springer Spaniels? Yeah, she's only five months old. Good. And, I mean, I mean I'm going to wear some trainers out chasing her, I think, because I think the first flush I do with her, it's her chasing for a mile. But, you know, I've got to do it. I'm going to do it in the next couple of weeks, flush with her. Um, but it's ma- again, it's a matter of re- her to realise that she cannot catch the game to reward her. Right. So I've got to get in amongst some birds somewhere, and I got a friend that's um, got some um, some quail about, you know, and he said I can go and flush there, so that, that's going to be nice. And go and see flush a, flush a few quail, not to shoot them, just to flush them away. <laughs> Just to flush him. And that, that's all that yep. dog wants to do is just flush, 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 flush. That's all I wanted to do. And I want to teach her that she can't catch him. Right. So she may she may run on the first few, but if she can't catch him to reward herself, she's soon going to get fed up with it. And then the moment she comes back to me, because she's come back to me, I'm going to throw her a, a bumper out. <laughs> yeah. Um, you can do it. Also, which I, I do here a lot with this young dog, and I'm going to be doing that before I take her on the birds, actually. is So I've got these cage launchers, and I'm going to put some tennis balls in there and just let them go with the duct tape on. So it looks like a bird coming out, out of there. You can right. sit and watch those down. Wow. And now, I mean, and now all that dog, all that dog is learning is how to, you know, how to be way more efficient about his job. That's brilliant. Um, I mean, but it, when I, so I guess what a flusher is, is kind of like, you know, working with a pointer in terms of a pointer. You just wanted to get into birds and after a while it'll get fed up with not catching them and it'll just stop. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, what you've got to do with them, what you really need to do with these flushing birds, a dog, I I like to have a, uh, some sort of command to say, hey, I'm not interested in that bird. Okay. So they may have shot at it or a flush has gone up, it's flushed a covey or it's flushed a pheasant, and, you know, there's a point where they don't shoot it or miss it. So I generally build into mine. I generally say, gone away. Hmm. So, and that means I don't want it. We're not interested in it. We carry on. We go and flush somewhere else. But you want to build some sort of command in where it's, um, hey, we're not interested in that one. Right. Right. So, you know, again, it's 
is about, so let's say, you know, you get them up to a, a bit further on when they're flushing and washing them away and, and whatever, however you do it or wherever you do it, you just, that bird goes away, and whether it be a pigeon or whether it be a quail or whatever it is, you don't want it, it's gone away. You can do that on the lead even, you know, just walk in, you know, where there's some quail and, you know, you get someone to flush them with an older dog. And your little dog watches them when he's gone away. And, yeah, and then you give it a retrieve somewhere else up the road a bit. You know, it is a matter of... They are, I mean, they're, they're some fast dogs, these Spaniels, if you've got the right ones. Don't get me wrong. You, they really are quick, but they're very efficient. And they're very good flushers. Where a Labrador, you know... He, and, and a Spaniel will mark them and, and retrieve as well as a Labrador. Don't get me wrong. Right. But if you've got a combination of both... You you got something special. I agree. Um, that's that's definitely been a team that I'm planning on putting together. I want a pointer, a lab, and a actually you may be really interested in a Springer. I think that'd be a, a freaking hell of a team, man. They're good duck dogs as well. Them Springers. Yeah, I saw. You know those the the. The cockers are good. They're real good flushing dogs. Don't get me wrong. And, and, and they will swim forever for you. Mm. But you just got to remember they've got a finer coat. Can they cope with a cold as well as a Labrador? Of course they can't. Right. And they're not, they're not, not so big. They're smaller. They're, their coat's a lot thinner. But can you pick four or five ducks for them? Of course you can. But you just got to monitor how they are. Right. Right. Well, I, uh, you definitely made me interested in Springers, you know, and, and this trifecta of a team that I'm looking for. <laughs> you definitely showed that because the one uh, that you sent me today, I mean, that is a little machine at five months old. That's crazy. Well, there's, there's a guy in the UK. If your listeners just look it up, Ian Openshaw, Roy Tex Kennels, okay? He made 10 Labrador champions up. He's made about a hun- over 100 champions up now. And you want to look, if they look up, you know, for sure, Roytex Kennels, Roytex Spaniels, they are just something else. Wow. Uh, there, there, there won't be another man born as good as him with a Spaniel. And, and I tell you what, he takes some beat with a Labrador as well. Hey, that's a big statement coming from you, man. No, I, I'm not saying it lightly. I mean, I, he's, you know, he, I, he, he, know, you know, he, he knows that much about dogs. He can read a problem. He, he can tell you a dog that he wants and he don't want. But I'm telling you now, you look on the YouTubes and the videos of that Roytex Kennels and you'll see what they do. It is just something else. Him and his wife, they are absolutely fantastic little people. Oh, man. You know, I'm actually going to go on there uh, tonight and see if I can find some of the videos and things like that. That sounds cool. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, they, you know, he cockers, springers, and, he, and I'll tell you, he made up 10, 10 field trial Labrador champions as well. And um, his dogs, he's just something else, you know? Right. But he, you check him out. I definitely. Um, as it is, we've we've actually got semen here right now from his cockers and his springers here now. What? 
Yeah, uh, it's in, yeah, we've got it for him. He sent it over and, and then asked us to promote the semen for him. Um, and we've got it here right now for people to use, but it's, you know, it's been imported. It's in the USA. He still owns it, but he, he will sell it to the right people. Oh, man. Uh, you got to. Okay, so now I'm a, later on, I'm going to pick your brain about, uh, you know, prices and stuff like that. Can you send me a picture of that dog also? I got yeah, we got quite a bit of semen here. We, I mean that that little Springer you saw today, yeah, yeah that was by out of, by one of his field trial champion stud dogs. Wow! And I've got and I've got the female here for a guy, and I'm going to do the repeat maiden. Really? And I, yeah, and I mean just show putting those videos on our Instagram page, yeah, and our Facebook. We've already got two or three people booking them. Um, it's a guy's female from the UK we've got and you know he he sent it over for me to breed from for him and like I said it we're going to redo that mating wow but anyway, that's cool. I mean it, it's a bit special you know oh, well I'm here for it well you know Robin I got about a minute left on my uh you know live and all of that stuff man and I think that covered a, a good bit of steadiness you think so or we you think we need to add a little more well, we can add it on as we go okay. anybody with any more questions you know so we send them in and we can help them out with it let's do um, it. you know specific questions and specific problems they've got you know we can soon help them out Man, I think I think this is cool and we're going to keep doing this, man. Well, I'm yo, I'm really happy with the information that you put on there, Robin. And, you know, I just want to continue doing this. We'll do like we said, we'll do two a month and, uh, you know, and just progressively work it throughout the season, man. So, yo, Robin, you know, I love you to death, man. Thank you a ton for that. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Always a pleasure. <laughs> For sure, for sure. All right, guys. How's your pri- how's your pride dog food working out? Uh, is it good? You yo, my it? dog. Hold on, let's let's backtrack a little bit and talk about the pride. I'm sorry, I didn't get there. So Ruger has been looking fantastic on it. First of all, so much in it. Good. So much in it. Um, and I actually am going to get Mike on the podcast as well. Um, pretty soon, you know, he's pretty busy, but I'm going to get him on the podcast soon to talk more about it. But I honestly, I like this dog food more than what I was giving him before. And I took there your word go. on it and it, it's all the way through. So shout out to the pride. It's the best food I've used. It's yes. the best food I've used since I've been over here. And, and that's no BS. You know, that is straight up. It's the best food. They're always good on it. They poop well on it. They're, you know, and and their energy levels are up. Right. So, you know, still up. You know, I haven't seen any of them losing weight. If anything, I've got to cut them back a bit. Right. You know? Yeah. Like he hold Ruger holds um holds his weight pretty well. Like I had to um I had to kind of drop some of his weight a little bit. And mm. right around the time that I was switching to Pride, anyway, it just worked out. Like he, I get, I see a little bit of of rib, how I like it, but it does, it's not terrible, you know. No. And um, I mean, he just looks like he's holding wind and holding his athleticism so well. I mean, man, this dog food is great. I I really I have to say so. 
I always gauge mine by the muscle tone on the back legs. Yeah. And the shoulders. Now, the muscle tone on these dogs here is something else. What I always also look at is their coat. Yeah. And, and, and they're, they're gleaming. You right. Know, absolutely. And look, I'm running my hand down the back of mine now, and I mean, it's silky smooth, man. Mm. I mean, <laughs> Robin, that was that was definitely a just a really, really, really good recommendation, and I'm just really glad that they're sponsoring the podcast. Um, yeah. And for anybody else that wants more of it, like. You know, I you can contact me, contact Robin. I I think the Pride Dog Food for for it to for it to be what it is, I think it honestly should be more available on the market. Actually, oh, definitely. I mean, I've had a lot of people not not sure where to get it. You know, yeah. Well, you couldn't get it to start off with up there, and then you found a place. But it's, right. I mean, it, it's a spot on food. It really is, and I mean, I can't speak highly enough of it. Right. I mean, I'm out, I'm outside outside here in my truck at the moment, and there's 20 dogs up the kennel, and I'm sat beside another six, and they're not, you know, they're not barking at the kennels or anything like that, and so, you know, they're obviously content on it. Right, and that's that's been my biggest thing. I mean, he, you know, once I give him his feed for the day, I'm not I'm not having him running back and forth to the food bowl and all kinds of stuff like that. He, uh, my dog just knocked my table, knocked into my table, but he's not running back and forth to the food bowl. He's good and he thoroughly yeah. enjoys it. I mean, he scoops that food up quickly. Good. Yeah. Yep. 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 I mean, I've I'm really impressed with Pride, man, and. The folks, the folks behind it are really, really good people. The food is very good. I mean, you can look at the ingredients and tell. They're very good. And there's no BS with it? Nope. Nope. None at all. <laughs> None at all. Um, so, that I mean, that's been my biggest thing. I'm just very, very happy that, you know, my dog has come so far. And it's, you know, these guys are athletes, man. Like, if you're not feeding your dog quality food, don't expect to get quality training or quality hunting either. No, I quite agree. Yeah. Like, what, uh, I mean, let's be honest. We want quality energy as well. And, right. And we, and we want energy. We need the stamina. And, but we also need a decent price, which pride is. Right. And that's the I mean, thing for, and honestly, man, I'm getting the same quality as what I was feeding last time, which is pretty good stuff, but I'm paying half the price. So honestly, I can get two bags, you know, or exactly. I, before the sponsorship, I was paying half the price and still getting two bags. I mean, who can beat well, that? Let's, be, let's be honest. If you've got small kennels or you got a, a large kennels. Okay. So, it's half the price. Right. So whatever you're doing, <clears throat> when you switch to this and you're using one of these $50 or $60 bags of food, you just give yourself a pay rise without doing anything. Right. <laughs> That's the way I saw it. <laughs> and I'm not being, I'm not being tight. I'm not being, you know, if it, the dogs didn't look right on it, I wouldn't have used it. Don't no. get me wrong. And I'm, I look, there are too many people that listen to this podcast for me to sit out and advertise BS food. Like, no, yeah. <laughs> this food is good. Yeah, it, it's it, it's the real deal. 
And yeah, I'm I'm definitely going to have that. So, um, you know, Mike Carr is his name. He should be on the podcast soon. Um, I know he's on the road a bit now, but, you know, I definitely am going to have him on here to speak a bit about what he does. And the thing about I like also about the pride is made about is made by people that actually hunt like. Yeah, they're actually in the industry, so they know what they're doing. Yeah, they don't. You know, I mean, they're not halfway else, are they? They're no, not sir. Pet food, they're not, but I, I think it'd be good for pet dogs. I think it'd be good for working dogs. I think there's, there's such a range there. It yep. would suit everybody. Yeah. Yep. They have a lot of different things. They got a lot of different types of food, a lot of different uh, ranges and formulas and things. So, you know, I, I Robin, this, this British gun dog thing and just this this that you've introduced me to and just you've really taken it up for me. So, I mean, I said, I tell you, thank you a hundred million times, you know, but seriously, like it's, there's a way to go about training dogs. And, and I, like you said, there are 50 million different ways to skin a cat, but I just totally believe in what you're doing. Um, and so I've been taking notes and the podcast has been, has getting a lot of your, your segments on the podcast have gotten a lot of really good, uh, reception so you know i'm i'm definitely interested in continuing uh this little segment man this is something that's special lovely yes i I look forward to it yes sir well all right man i'm gonna wrap this up and guys that was the uh next segment of the uh training methods with robin watts in the british the uh british way so you know that's it robin i uh i enjoyed you and and you know stay tuned guys we'll have another episode coming up once again i'd like to say thank you for listening to another episode of the gundog notebook i finally like to thank my sponsor the pride dog food and my contributor robin watson of tibia gundogs each episode is made possible by your ratings, reviews, and subscriptions. Also, please go support the Patreon. You can type the Gundog Notebook and you should be able to find it. Also, visit my Instagram page, the Gundog Notebook, and you can also find us on Facebook. Thanks again for listening to another episode.